Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, everybody? Welcome back this week to the O2 Podcast. Paul and Andrew are here. Uh, going to give you a quick intro today because we got a pretty long episode. But first off, we're going to start off with our uh, message here from our buddies over at Go Wild. Yeah, we've 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 talked about it. We're going to keep hammering this point because we love it. But Go Wild, in case you guys don't know, it's a, it's a free social media community. Um, your photos aren't censored. Videos aren't censored. Uh, you know, hunting, fishing, whatever you put on, the, the, they're encouraged on Go Wild. So Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing, uh, sharing your trophies, gear reviews, inviting friends. Uh, as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too. I have been cashing in on those rewards months. I know you have too. Uh, you get gift cards, free swag, knives, stuff like that. Huge discounts on Stickers. brands like Garmin and Vortex and so much more. So uh, if you create a free account today, you unlock $10 just for trying it out. So download it, Apple. Google Play uh, or go wild, time to go wild.com. Love it. I love it. It's the stuff, man. And I, yeah. it's not going to get any better. The censorship, it's only going to get worse. So having that platform is going to be huge. I actually got an email from them this morning. One of their uh, ghillie suit looking things uh, was on sale, probably like 40 bucks off. It's pretty, pretty legit. So uh, getting you ready for turkey season, which is what we're going to talk about today. But this is before- the kickoff. This is this is Paul is like itching, itching, itching to get going on this. And I know a lot of people out there are so. Um, but real quick around the state, uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of information. Deer season's winding down. It's, it's that Hail Mary time. Um, so if you're out there for that, uh, there are some other things to open your small game and some of that. But check your book on the news front. There is let me get the official wording. The Recovering America's Wildlife Act. It's a piece of legislation. I believe it's in the uh, federal House and Senate right now that they're working on. ODNR's website's got more information on it, but uh, basically it's going to help to provide Ohio with the funds to help with conservation and education programs, as well as, you know, habitat and all that kind of stuff. I was reading this article about about this, Paul, did you know that Ohio has 94 species that are at risk of extinction globally or nationally? I did not. That's insane. 94 94 species. Wow. And we don't care about those because they're probably like little darters or, you know, songbirds or whatever. It's not, it's not a deer. It's not a Turkey. So people just gloss over it, but man, that ecosystem is important. Yeah. It, it all starts down at those little bugs and yeah. So if I now I was I would be honest with you, I was looking at some of these and I'm like, how do people even go out and know if they can find a star-nosed mole or whatever it was? <laughs> like, there's a star-nosed mole, just start digging holes in the ground looking for it. Right. So. Right. So this is interesting. I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I'm I'm very cautious on what the government spend, spends their money on personally. Um, uh, but this is one that they don't make more land. So 
Yeah. If it's I, I, I wish that, and I'm sure you can, and, and today's guest on the show is a government employee, state employee. Um, but I, I was reading about like Pennsylvania has a, has a conservation like plan that's readily available to, to the residents of the state, to anybody. I'd like to see if Ohio has something like that. I was just thinking about that this morning. Uh, we so, might be able to find that out. Yeah, I'd weeks. like to see. I, you want to see, you know, like our tax, not tax dollars, but our our, our dollars for, from the licenses and the tags. You'd like to see where that goes. I think that's important for people for people to see. So we'll dig into that. Absolutely. Keep y'all posted. So besides that, um, Paul, you, you were out the last weekend there trompsing around in a creek, weren't you? Yeah, I went, uh, went trout fishing. Um we got there's one degree toasty uh, when we got there. Um, it was nuts. It was gorgeous. Went to Clear Creek Metro Park. Um, didn't, you know, we didn't catch anything. We were definitely over, you know, like we didn't have the right equipment. I mean, it was one degree out. It was freezing cold. Everything was freezing up. I dropped my freaking fishing pole in the water. I mean, it froze up immediately. Couldn't, couldn't reel in. We saw a ton of trout. I mean, hundreds of trout. The water's so clear. Um, they were there. It was just, it was so, it was so icy and just, man, it was, it was, it was tough for, for a couple of amateurs like us. So the three of us were out there. So, but still, it's a beautiful day. Uh, it was, it was a great experience. I really, I really, that was my first time down there at Clear Creek Mento Park. Uh, I highly recommend it. So, yeah, your pictures are, were beautiful. It did yeah, look cold, it was, though. Man, it was nuts. Like, the, you know, the, Everything was frozen, you know, the waterfalls frozen, Mount Laurel. It was cool, man. It was it was a cool time. I really enjoyed it. So wish would have had some fish, but nothing. So we'll give it a give it a whirl. Oh, good. I don't have a whole lot to report. I was on out of town down in uh, Georgia for a week for work. It was, it was much warmer there than it is here. Uh and then last weekend actually I came back and I had to go to Kentucky. So I had the kids. We went out to see some of the stuff where uh, Abraham Lincoln was born and his boyhood home farm and walked that. So I told the kids to look for sheds just in case, but oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. We didn't see any you of did, You did have some interesting trail cam stuff happen while you were gone. I had that Bobcat show up again, which is really cool. Um, yeah. And you had a booner 20 feet from your tree stand that you're, <laughs> your trail cam sent you every the you single year. I go to the you same conference like- and I get the best pictures of the year. You said like five years worth of pictures in a row. And it was the same week. I thought it was hilarious. So yeah, good stuff. Um, so real quick, just so everybody's up to speed here on our front, we've been trying to build this little idea of our podcast, but we worked with Parker McDonald. Uh, so he's the Southern ground hunting guy. He does web design. Um, uh as his like one of his jobs white hawk creative company but he helped us to put together a website so it's the o2podcast.com and if you go there we have just some basic information and stuff right now um and you can listen to the podcast or whatever uh there is a shop tab on there i'm just gonna warn everybody like i think it works <laughs> i think it works uh <laughs> I, I might've test ordered some things uh, the other day. Well, I'll, I'll let you know when it comes to my house. And once it actually gets here, it's like, I'm a seer to believer. So I have to, once I see it show up, then I'll be like, all right, this thing worked. Um, so the first person that buys something on that website, I got something special for you. I got, I got it. I got a, I got a personalized gift that I'm going to send you. 
All right, Paul, I have no, no idea what you're talking about. So not I'm you. Trust you. Not, I got something in the works, but not you, Muntz, because you oh, don't count. Okay. I don't count. All right. Employees can't participate. So, so it's the O2 podcast.com. The O, the number two podcast.com. Um, I, I didn't mention it, but earlier in the year, we, we uh, went, got a new song to start the show and transition and stuff. Uh, so shout out to Joel Thornton. Uh, Thank you, Joel, for helping us with that. Much appreciated. Appreciate you. Uh, if anybody's interested, Joel does run a podcast himself. Um, it is not family friendly, but it, it's entertaining. It uh, is it's hilarious. The It List Podcast. Oh, it's so good. The It List Podcast. It's, it is very funny, but uh, it's going to be a little bit more on the uh, R-rated or side of things so when those guys get to laughing and they get to feeding off each other it, it, it cracks me up man it's yeah it's, <laughs> it's like it's like turkey's too. goblin like you get one to gobble five more one guy laughs the other three laugh i love okay. it all right so last housekeeping um give us a follow on instagram and we are uh, the.o2.podcast we are go wild as o2 podcast and then uh paul's running the twitter account at at ohio hunt and if anybody would like to leave us some reviews on your podcast program, that would be really cool too. So enough of that, Paul. Today, today, so today's episode, we talked to Mark Wiley, who is the Upland Game Bird Biologist for the state of Ohio. So Upland Birds, he he sets policy and, and regulates um, wild turkeys, uh, pheasants, and I believe it was grouse, woodcock, uh, those birds. Um, Super interesting guy has a ton of information. As a turkey hunter in the state of Ohio, we had all that 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 news come out end of last year. Spring totals reduced to one bird. In my mind, a panic, total panic. Like, oh god, turkeys are going to be gone forever. We had to walk them off the cliff. Yes, had to walk me off the cliff. So, um, Mark definitely put my mind at ease. He he really breaks it down to, to understand what the wild turkey is is kind of up against in the state and. And, uh, and and why that decision was made. It's really, this is not a doom and gloom episode. I want people to understand that this is a really good, this is a really good conversation. I felt really good walking away from it uh, about the, the the future of wild turkeys in the state of Ohio and pheasants and woodcocks and all these upland birds. Um, it's really, really good. So we're going to use this as our, as our kickoff episode for, for wild turkeys. Um, I think most people, like I, I think about turkey hunting literally every day. Um, I think most guys start thinking about it, you know, into January, first of February, deer hunting's over. So this is the the kickoff to that. The turkey content on this on this show is going to be unbelievable this year. I'm very yeah. excited about it. So and if like, you're not so in literally the, like the, the biggest names in turkey hunting are coming on to talk to us, it's awesome. And if you're not into turkey hunting, it's not going to be pure turkeys from here until June. Um no, we got some we got some cool stuff. We got to, other to things too there, so. coming up, but um yeah. we just wanted to start teasing the idea and get you thinking in that that mindset so nothing else paul appreciate it guys yeah, everybody a lot of listeners appreciate it we will talk yeah, to thanks you guys. for listening man you guys I, I appreciate everyone listening to the show every time i talk to someone or you know on twitter or go out or whatever it is i'm like god thank you man appreciate yes, it so very much keep keep hitting it and someone give us a review see you hear my scratchy voice because i'm sick like a puberty uh yeah someone give us give us a review on itunes man itunes spotify whatever else we're on let us know how we're doing what you think so if it sucks, uh, I will I will be hurt. Like my feelings will be hurt. So be easy on me, I'm child. <laughs> All right. Let's end this episode. Let's Take go. care, everybody. Thanks.
Okay. Welcome uh, to another episode of the O2 Podcast. Um, I'm joined today with, uh, with with co-host Andrew Munz, and we got a special guest uh, today on the show, Mark Wiley, research biologist with the state of Ohio. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So, Mark, just give uh, give the listeners a little rundown about uh, about your role with the state uh, and kind of your background and how you got into what you do. Certainly. Um, so. I am the forest game bird biologist within the state. Uh, so, so I work out of our Columbus research station with a number of other biologists that cover other species. Uh, but my focus is principally wild turkey, rough grouse, and American woodcock. Uh, and then I assist with uh, small game surveys and some other uh, game species that we monitor within the state. Um, as you might imagine, wild turkey take up a lot of my uh, time harvest monitoring, population monitoring, and those sorts of things. So any any reports that you see toward the end of the season typically have come out of our office uh, or uh, forecasts based on poult surveys or gobbling surveys and those things. Those those are also coming out of our office. Um, the, I, you ask about the path that led me here. I guess I was always uh, kind of a small game hunter. Uh, grew up in Ohio, uh, chasing rabbits and squirrels. Uh, from central Ohio. So we didn't have wild turkey uh, when I was a kid, at least not in the numbers that we have now. Uh, and so I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't become a turkey hunter until late in life. I was, I was actually a master's student working on a northern Bob White project in southwest Ohio. So I've always kind of been in the game bird world, uh, but started out with quail, um, did some research in Highland and Brown County, uh, in Ohio, Southwest Ohio. Uh, I came to the division as a grassland biologist covering quail and pheasant and a few other species um, and, and sort of made the shift over to wild turkey after, after one of our biologists left with Pennsylvania. Uh, so very happy to be in the forest game bird world. There's some excellent uh, opportunities in Ohio, not only for wild turkey, but uh, but for a few other species, uh, rough grouse aren't doing so well, um, but American woodcock populations are strong. Uh, so, so yeah, happy to be working in the, in the forest game bird arena. Excellent. Um, let's, uh, let's kind of give, give the listeners a, I think it's important to understand where in, in regards to turkeys, where we started and, and kind of the path that, 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 that bird has taken over the last 50, 60 years or whatever, we, you know, we've been intensely managing wild turkey populations in Ohio. So, so give us kind of a rundown of, of, of the story of the wild turkey and the history of the wild turkey in the state of Ohio. Yeah, certainly. So it, it is, of course, a native species to the state. So prior to European settlement, uh, abundant wild turkey numbers, the state was almost entirely forested. So though we don't know a lot about uh, what wild turkey numbers might have been pre-European settlement, we can be confident that they were fairly strong. And then uh, with the arrival of, of European settlers through the 1700s, 1800s, uh, we, or they, uh, pretty much cleared Ohio's forests almost entirely. Uh, Ohio was cleared for agriculture, as well as uh, strip mining and uh, iron furnaces and so forth. Um, so really least reached a low point in forest cover in the late 1800s. 
and a number of Ohio's wildlife species were lost at that time due to not only the, that habitat change, but to overharvest, unregulated harvest. And wild turkey were one of those species. So I think the last sighting of wild turkey uh, was in the very early 1900s, may have been 1904, 1907. I don't, uh, I, I've lost the exact date. But essentially, wild turkey's gone from the state at that point. And they were, they were gone for 50 years or more um, with, with several attempts by wildlife biologists to restore them using uh, propagated turkeys. So essentially, these birds look like wild turkeys. They were commercially raised. I think many of them came from farms in Pennsylvania. Uh, but that, those efforts were unsuccessful, those birds had a number of behavioral issues, which are common in captive uh, game birds. They weren't very wary of predators or humans. Uh, they also roosted on the ground, according to some of those biologists' notes. None of those are good behaviors for survival in the wild. Uh, and so those, those efforts were unsuccessful. And then in the late 1950s, uh, the Ohio Division of Wildlife reached an agreement with a number of other states that still had wild turkey populations. Um, a lot of our birds came from Missouri, uh, some from uh, West Virginia, Florida, Texas. Uh, there, are, there are a couple other states in there that provided a, a handful of birds. So in the late 1950s, we were uh, catching wild turkeys, truly wild turkeys, and bringing them to Ohio and releasing them in, in Southeast Ohio. And they did tremendously well. Uh, they did uh, so well that by 1966, we opened nine counties to spring turkey hunting. Um, and we also started moving turkeys from Southeast Ohio. The, that population was growing very rapidly. We started moving turkeys from Southeast Ohio to other parts of the state um, where we felt like habitat was suitable. Um, and, and so for basically from the late, uh, well, from the early 60s to about around 2008, I think that effort finally ended. Uh, the Division of Wildlife was actively trapping turkeys in areas where there were good populations and moving them to areas of the state where, where populations had not been established yet. And turkeys, uh, they, they really surprised us all. Uh, I say us, I wasn't around at that time, but biologists like me for a long time believed that turkeys would only ever occupy the most heavily forested portions of Ohio, Southeast Ohio, Eastern Ohio, parts of Southwest Ohio. Um, turkeys have done very well in all 88 counties. Now, populations in forested counties are much stronger than populations in, in, in counties with, with less forest, uh, but turkeys really proved us wrong, showed us that they're, they're really adaptable species, and we've now got wild turkeys in all 88 counties of Ohio. So let's, let's talk about, I want to talk about that, that first County uh, or that first hunting season. I, I pulled up some, some data today from, from the ODNR website. And it was, a I, this is just more as I think it's kind of neat, but it was a four day season. So it was May 4th through May 7th, nine counties, one bag limit permit fee was free, which I, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, 500 permits were issued, and and here's the here's the jaw dropping number. Months, you want to take a stab at this? How many wild turkeys were harvested in 1966? Mark, I'm sure you know this number. Four days, 30. 500 count or 500 permits. 12, 12 turkeys were harvested in 1966. I I'm, I'm sure those 12 people were 
they were probably loving life. What legends. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to talk to one of those guys. So, so 1966, we have, we have nine counties. We have, you know, really good populations. Um, I want to talk about the the one kind of the peak, and it looks like 2000, the early 2000s seemed to be the peak of the of the of the hunters. I mean, I, at one point there were almost 95,000 permits issued during that time, in one year, one season. That's incredible. And the harvest numbers were, I mean, were were really high. So, what was that? Just a culmination of um, you know decades worth of conservation work by the state, or was is that just kind of like hunters peaked at that time and just more hunters? are going to lead to more turkeys being killed. What, what, what drove that? Yeah, yeah, great question. And there's a number of factors coming together there. As you said, a culmination of, of a number of things. Uh, so turkey populations, as I mentioned, grew very rapidly, expanded very rapidly during the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, and, and hit their peak really in the early 2000s. And since that time, we've really leveled off. And another really unique thing happened in the, the early 2000s. Um, we had a, a periodical cicada emergence, which maybe you guys are familiar with. That's not the annual cicadas, the, the dog day cicadas that are out every year. This is the one that, you know, you can't walk without stepping on them. They're, they're out in the millions uh, and they come out every 17 years. There was actually one in, in uh, sort of southwest and, and west central Ohio this past summer, but not it's not because that area is not as heavily forested as southeast Ohio. Uh, it's not quite as profound. Anyway, uh, there was an emergence in uh, um, I believe it's 1999 uh, in southeast Ohio, and this appears this event because uh, wild turkeys in the spring are heavily reliant on invertebrates, insects, uh, um, for their diet. It, it appears to create a tremendous boost in pulp production in the year that it happens and in, in the area of the state that it happens. So our strongest turkey populations are in Southeast Ohio. We had a periodical cicada emergence in Southeast Ohio in 1999. Pulp numbers went through the roof. Um, and then two years later, when those poults are mature gobblers now, no longer uh, appear as a jake, behave like a jake, which, you know, some folks uh, kind of lay off the jakes for the most part in the spring season. Um, but when those are our two-year-old gobblers, which make up the bulk of our spring harvest, uh, we really, we, we harvested a lot of turkeys. That was our, our top year, 2001, so two, two years after the emergence. So, uh, I know we went down a real rabbit hole there, but we had tremendous turkey numbers. We had a growing turkey population anyway. We had a tremendous boost in 1999 due to the cicada emergence. And then we had growing popularity in spring turkey hunting. Uh, again, decades and decades of growth and expansion um, and adding, adding turkey hunters to the ranks. Uh, so we had a lot of turkeys. We had a lot of turkey hunters. Uh, we had our record harvest. And as you mentioned, we, we sold a record number of permits at that time in excess of 90,000. Um, since that time, the turkey population has really leveled off. Uh, we, you could almost say that the state has, has saturated all available turkey habitat with, with wild turkeys. Now, anybody could make an argument. Well, I know a place, you know, with looks like it has good turkey habitat and there aren't turkeys there right now. 
there may be a few places where the population is still trying to reach and expand. Uh, there's also a chance that maybe the turkey habitat in that area isn't as good as, as some believe it to be. Uh, there are a lot of explanations there, but for the most part, statewide, we really reached our peak in the early 2000s, and we've been bouncing up and down ever since then. And you can see that in the spring turkey harvest. Year to year, we're up, we're down. And in that trend, that, that spring turkey harvest trend really closely follows our POLT index, which we could talk about later, talk about now if you wish. But it's a summer survey that gives us a, a quick glimpse at how uh, the spring turkey population reproduced that year, how successful was nesting and POLT survival. And so that's the summer survey. That's how the state monitors overall turkey population. It's one of the ways. It's one of our okay. best ways. Now, spring harvest is a great indicator as well, uh, but you got to take a lot of things into account. You mentioned a few of them. Uh, how many hunters are out there? You know, our, if our hunter numbers are declining, we would expect our harvest number to decline regardless of, of how the turkey population is doing. Uh, but the, then in addition to that, we, we ask for uh, the public to report observations of, of wild turkey during the months of July and August. That's when poults that have hatched in the previous months, month uh, or months, I should say, uh, have grown to a point where their survival is pretty high. We expect them to make it to adulthood. Uh, and, you know, if you're driving down the road and you see a hen with three poults, We've got a, a, a web page where you can report that observation, the county, uh, the number of hens, the number of poults, uh, and then we, we pile all that into an index that, that gives us an, an average for the state number of poults per hen. Um, our, our long-term average is about 2.7, uh, so anytime we're above or below that, that's, that's sort of our best indicator of what's coming down the pike in terms of spring harvest in future years. That's 2.7 poults per hen survival. 2.7 poults per hen. That is correct. Wow. So I've stumbled across, uh, you know, in spring season, you know, a hen turkey and, and I'll blow her off the nest and, you know, I'll go over and I'll look and there's, you know, there's 10 eggs in, in there. So, so how many of the, so, so if there's 10 eggs, so we've got 2.7 poults in August, how many of those poults are going to make it to like a mature bird? Is it, do, do those 2.7, do they make it or does that number yeah. drop? Yeah, I mean, it'll drop a little bit, uh, but not as significantly as it did earlier in the summer. Uh, so survival rate for nests is, is not great. Uh, survival rate for young pulse. So, you know, from hatching to about two weeks of age, survival is terrible for those birds. They, they can't fly. They're, they're stuck on the ground. They've got a roost on the ground. Uh, about anything that can catch them will eat them. And then as those poults get bigger and bigger and bigger, their survival rate gets better and better and better because they can evade predators. They can roost in trees as you're accustomed to to adult turkeys doing. Uh, so so the 2.7, that's the reason we collect that data in July and August is because mm -hmm. most of those poults, with the exception of a really late hatch, uh, a late hatching nest. Um, most of those poults are about half, half the size of an adult turkey. Their survival, they're flying well, they're, they're strong runners. Uh, their survival rate is pretty good. So you can expect most of those 2.7 to make it into the fall and winter and, and likely into the next okay. spring. What's the, so when, when, this is a dumb question, when, when the poults are, are 
you know, the first four weeks of their life, they're roosting on the ground. Does the, does the, the hen, does she roost on the ground with them and protect them? Or does she fly up every night and I'll, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> right. Yeah. Great question. No, she's, uh, she's often on the ground with them, especially when they're very young. Uh, and so she is extremely vulnerable to predation as well. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, when we tur- talk about uh, turkey survival, uh, we've got to know, we've got to know the age of the birds you're talking about. We've got to know the sex of the bird that you're talking about, because it varies for all of them, you know, for each, for sex and for age. So nesting uh, a, an adult hen's survival is generally pretty good other than while she's nesting and has young and has young poults, uh, because she's extremely vulnerable to mammalian predation, avian predation, all of the above. When she's, when she's on the ground with those poults or when she's stuck on a nest uh, trying to trying to incubate uh, where the males they don't they don't contribute contribute anything other than fertilization so so they can spend all their time you know while they're not gobbling they can spend their time trying to evade predators uh, the hens got a much more difficult task ahead of her in, uh, during the nesting season what's the number one predator for for a wild turkey I would assume that it's different as they age but so let's just say let's let's stick with the poll topic they're in that in that nesting phase or in the, you know, are raccoons robbing nests, are snakes robbing nests? What's what's the number one predator for the wild turkey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nest predators uh, could be all of the above, anything from a snake to a coyote. If they come across the nest, they're likely to uh, to take those eggs. Um, so the number one nest predator, I, I don't know. It might that might actually vary regionally. Uh, you know, different parts of, of the eastern wild turkey subspecies range, which is all the way down to Florida to uh, New England uh, and west. So uh, I, I would I would chalk up anything that finds that nest, even crows uh, will take wild turkey eggs if they can if they can find them. So concealment is extremely important at that stage of the game. And, and you think about a 28-day incubation period. It's basically one month that that hen uh, has to keep that nest hidden. And it's actually a little longer than that because she's going to lay likely, you mentioned 10, uh, I think the average is 11. So you were, you were spot on. Uh, 11 eggs in a nest, it takes her uh, a little more than a day to lay each of those eggs. So she's got another two weeks there on, in, on the front end that she's laying eggs in that nest before she starts incubating. So now we're talking six weeks that she's got a hope that nothing comes across that one spot she selected uh, to have her nest. Um, as poults, it, it, it's gonna, the primary predator is gonna vary week to week because those poults are gonna grow really rapidly and by two weeks, they'll be flying. It'll be weak flight, but they'll be able to get off the ground, may even be able to start roosting in the trees, which is going to reduce mammalian predation considerably uh, once they can get off the ground. Um, so it, really, it's anything that's going to encounter those poults is, is going to take them. Uh, but avian predation becomes more problematic, maybe than mammalian, once, once those poults can fly. Uh, so yeah, avian predators, they do, a, they do a lot more than most people give them credit for. I think most people want to put their crosshairs on, on mammals, uh, coyotes and the like. Uh, not as significant uh, a turkey predator as most people think. But, so you're uh, talking about but, owls and 
hawks and hawks certainly okay. even eagles uh you know we'll occasionally get uh reports of eagles coming down on turkey decoys or even even more rarely a, a trail cam photo of an eagle swooping in on a flock of turkeys um, but yeah avian predators that are large enough to take turkeys uh and most can take turkey poults there are only a handful that can take an adult turkey but a great horned owl is as an example it is a notorious predator of wild turkey even even large adult birds can be taken by a great horn owl wow, so typically on the roost mark what, okay. what's happening to the population like right now i know you kind of said it was yeah. kind of stable but i think we saw uh well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but we're seeing a reduction in tags for next year and that kind of stuff. So um, what, what's the population at right now? Yeah, yeah, great question. So as I mentioned, we've been fairly stable uh, since the early 2000s, but we do fluctuate. We, we see all of our indices fluctuate year to year. We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. Uh, unfortunately, 2017, 2018, and 2019, we saw... Not, not really an alarmingly low number of pults, but we saw low pult numbers in all of those years. And, and that was the first time, if you look back in a roughly 20 year history of a stable turkey population, that was the first time that we had three consecutive, really poor pult years in a row. Uh, so, so the problem there is, you know, if you have a bad pult year followed by a good pult year, things kind of balance each other out in terms of spring season. You know, you're still harvesting a few three, three-year-old gobblers in the spring, uh, but the two-year-old gobblers make up the bulk of your birds. So if you've got a bad two-year-old gobbler class and a good three-year-old class, they, they offset each other a bit. But 2017 to 2019 were all bad years for wild turkey production in Ohio. Um, and so we had uh, really multiple age classes of adult gobbler that were all bad. None of them could pad the other in any regard. And so our, our spring turkey harvest came down and down and down. We saw success rates for spring turkey hunters fall and fall and fall. Um, from 2019 to 2020 to 2021, uh, which 2021 was the lowest spring turkey harvest we've had uh, since since the early 2000s, so roughly 20 years. Um, and it's all, it's all pulp production. Um, so how, how, how successful were nests and, and, pulp and, and how good was pulp survival? Uh, that, that seems to drive the whole system. And the principal factor there is, is largely weather. Uh, weather during the nesting season seems to have a dramatic impact year to year on how successful turkeys are. There are a lot of other factors that come into play. Predation is one of them, disease, uh, habitat availability, and so forth. But it, it, it does appear, based on what we know about a year-to-year variation in, in poult production, it's, it's how, how, uh, how good or bad was the, the weather during the spring and early summer. So with that said, the 17, 18, 19, I know some at least one of the surrounding states kind of has a similar, we've seen similar things. Um, is that just, I mean, are you getting that from other biologists in the area? And you mentioned the word disease in there. And I know that's something that we talk about in the deer world a little bit and then, and, and everything. And nowadays in our world, right. Everybody talks about that kind of stuff, but is there some 
pathogen out there that is causing issues or um, is that more of just kind of a, a general concern? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good question. It's there's nothing out there right now that explains that, that dip th- that we know of, I should say uh, that dip in, in 17, 18, 19, there are a number of, of wild Turkey diseases that uh, are known they pop up here and there, avian pox and, and West Nile virus has been of concern in the grouse world recently. It, it appears <clears throat> that uh, that virus takes a heavy toll on rough grouse populations. And actually, there's some research coming out of the Pennsylvania Game Commission on that. And they had interest in whether wild turkey might have similar impact Um and we actually contributed some uh, blood samples from fall harvested turkeys some in Ohio. So Ohio harvested birds, we sent blood samples to Pennsylvania for their research. Uh, some pre- preliminary results I've heard from that suggest that turkeys do just fine with West Nile virus. There's no major impact there. I just wanted to point that out because there's that Ohio connection to that research. But uh, I brought up disease only because only to emphasize the point that there are a number of factors that are all at play at any one time impacting survival and, and so forth. Um, but it appears we don't have evidence that any one predation, disease, uh, anything like that uh, is having that, that notable impact that's caused the depression during 17, 18, 19. Um, our best guess is we had some inclement weather, inclement spring weather, specifically heavy rains, anything, really anything out of the ordinary uh, in terms of spring and summer weather, which I know is kind of laughable in Ohio, that weather can be all over the place, but heavy rains, cold snaps, those are all bad statewide. You know, that has statewide impact on nest success and poult survival when they're really vulnerable, you know, little, little poults or, or uh, still eggs. Um, so, I, I mean, and, and you brought up the point that some other neighboring states have, have experienced similar patterns. I mean, that's they're experiencing similar spring weather to us as well. Um, so while we might see some similarity in predation levels, uh, predation or predator population levels with neighboring states, it's really telling that in a bad weather year, we all have bad pulp numbers. In a good weather year, we all have good pulp numbers, seemingly. And uh, interestingly, it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, 2020, we came up back up to our statewide average. We had 2.7 pulps per hen. That was good news. Uh, we certainly would have liked to have seen a, a bumper year after three bad years. Uh, but we did get our bumper year this past year, so 2021, the summer of 2021, we were above 3.0 volts per hen, which is well above our, our typical average. So uh, the good news is there may be some light at the end of the tunnel. The bad news is it, it typically takes about two years for those mature birds to show up in the spring harvest. So let's let's unpack some of the some of the numbers here um, and some of the reasons. The big question that everyone has, why do we make the change? Uh, to the bag limit for 2022. So I just I, I just want to run down, and this is all this is all information that's available on your website. Um, I'm, I've got a date range, seven year, 2014, 2021. So we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about two segments: hunter data and harvest data. So we've got for hunter; these are permits in 2014 
68,960 were issued in 20 and 2014, 2021, big drop 61,131. So we've got less people buying permits. Um, obviously big spike in the COVID year. We'll take that out. Um, harvest data 2014, we've got 16,570 turkeys harvested in spring 2021, 14,546. The peak was in 2018 for harvest was 22,612. So we've got kind of a big, like a, a peak and a, you know, a, a big valley of participation and harvest data. So what did you guys look at? Did you take into account the harvest data, the hunter data, and that pulse per hen to make the change for 2022? Just as like a preventative or, or is there something bigger that we're not seeing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it, it's, it's in many ways all of the above. Uh, I'll say uh, we were aware that spring turkey harvest was likely to uh, decline following 2018, which was our third. I, tried, I need to remember to point that out to folks is just a few years ago, we had our third highest spring harvest on record. That was 2018. Uh, interestingly, that's two years after a big cicada emergence in Southeast Ohio. It's 17 years after the, the previous one that we discussed. Uh, so those, a lot of those peaks that you see as you're looking year to year in the spring harvest, uh, they follow three significant cicada emergences, um, which shows you how important poult survival is. When you feed those poults tons of big fat bugs, as many as they can eat, they do really well. And then we kill a lot of turkeys in the spring. Uh, but getting back to your question about the, the bag limit change, um, we knew that, that spring harvest was going to start working its way down, that hunter success was going to start working its way down. We do postseason hunter surveys at the end of every spring uh, season, um, at least have in the last five years. We, we use those to measure hunter satisfaction with the previous season as well. Uh, we saw hunter satisfaction coming down and down and down, and we know from those surveys that the biggest impact on hunter satisfaction uh, for spring turkey hunters is gobbling activity. Uh, so if, if hunters are out there and they hear gobbling, they're pretty satisfied with their hunt. Doesn't seem to matter as much how the hunt goes, you know, whether they successfully harvest a bird or not. But if they're hear, hearing gobbling activity, they're pretty satisfied with the hunt. So we were watching that hunter satisfaction number come down as, as, as we knew turkey numbers were dropping. Uh, reducing the, the spring bag limit was, we were getting a lot of demands from hunters to, to do something like that, take some pressure off the spring gobblers. That was an easy way. Uh, I, I shouldn't say easy. It's a hard decision to make, uh, but it, it was the most, uh, it, it was the most rapid way that we could have a potential impact on gobbler numbers. Gobbler survival is really high naturally, their natural mortality, predation, disease, and other factors, starvation, other things, it's pretty low. Uh, if a gobbler's gonna die, it's, it's likely due to a, a spring turkey hunter. Um, so reduction in, in bag limit from two bearded birds to one bearded bird was a way to immediately spare some, some mature gobblers, keep them on the landscape, Biologically, it's, it's not going to have much impact. If we've got a properly timed spring turkey season, the gobbler's duties as far as reproduction have already occurred by the time they're taken out by a, a spring turkey hunter. 
so the bag limit change is not going to have too much impact on population growth, we wouldn't expect, but it will leave some mature gobblers on the landscape. And so hopefully this uh, um, coming season, we've got a few gobblers left on the landscape that carry over to the next season uh, and, and increase that gobbling activity a little bit in some of those areas that are really heavily pressured by spring turkey hunters. So that's, I would say hunter satisfaction and gobbling activity were the primary reasons for that, that bag limit change. It's not, that was not to, to give the turkey population a boost, because as I mentioned, if we've done our job and properly timed the spring turkey season, it should have no biological impact. It'll principally be leaving more gobblers on the landscape for hunters next year. So when is the peak breeding? Well, I mean, date range i mean we can you know with deer we can look at that bell curve peak rut november 14th everything comes down do you have is there a bell curve for peak turkey breeding as well there is and what we focus on principally uh for setting spring dates is nesting chronology so the the meaningful dates in in the nesting calendar um as you guys surely know gobbling will will begin in February, if not earlier. You know, if they get a sunny day in February, it seems like they're gobbling their heads off. And that's when the calls come into my office. Hey, why do we not have a, a February turkey season? Um, it, it, are, you, is, are you serious? Uh, people I have had people, people in ask, Ohio want to hunt turkeys. In February. Come on, guys. If they hear gobbling birds and, and, they, and, you know, I understand it, but, you know, they've been locked up for all of February. Deer season's over, you know. All they're doing is thinking about turkey season coming. They start to hear birds gobbling in the woods and they're going, well, we should be turkey hunting. Well, gobblers will gobble as soon as they feel like it's, it's time to gobble. Uh, that does not mean that hens are, are receptive. Uh, so we focus on hens because they are the, the, the engine that drives population growth for wild turkey. So so what, what we focus on is actually the, the median incubation period. So when have, have the majority of our hens begun incubation of nests? That means they've already been fertilized. They've already bred. They've already laid some eggs. Um, there probably is still some, there's still a, a significant amount of breeding left to go because hens will continue to breed as they lay. Uh, and some hens start early and some hens start late. So we try to hit that middle period and that's actually based on research done by some of my predecessors, uh, Dave Swanson and Mike Reynolds in the early 2000s uh, down in Athens and other parts of Southeast Ohio. They established uh, through, through monitoring a, a couple hundred hens, I think it was, um, when, when incubation started or when laying started, when incubation started uh, and, and also did some estimation of, of hen survival. Anyway, uh, when we had a statewide season, so prior to 2017, the, the entire state was based on those dates, those nesting dates from that study in the early 2000s. And it was, we started on the Monday closest to April 21st. So 20, April 21st was our anchor date and the season started on a Monday. So we, it was always the Monday closest to April 21st. So folks were always, they were, they always ask, you know, why does the season jump around? You know, one one year it'll be the third week and then it's the fourth week. Um, and that's because it, there's an anchor date, which is April, April 21st, which is based on nesting timing. And then we started the season on a Monday. That's of course changed. Now we've got a Saturday and we have a Saturday start and we have two zones. 
Uh, we did a similar nesting study in Northeast Ohio at, at uh, the request of some hunters up there, a number of hunters up there that were concerned about lake effect snowfall in the late spring, impacting body condition of, of wild turkeys and therefore potentially the timing of nesting. And they were correct. Uh, we monitored a number of hens up there with satellite telemetry, uh, and we found that they birds up in Northeast Ohio were in fact nesting later than those birds that had been identified in Southeast Ohio. So that's why you've got the two zones in Ohio now. So it's, it's a small zone, five counties in Northeast Ohio, and it has a later start date. It's, it starts on the Saturday closest to May 1st. And so South Zone has retained the old statewide uh, uh, timing of, of Saturday closest to April 21st. So it's all, it's all based on nesting, uh, gobbling activity aside. Now, uh, fortunately, we do see a, a slight peak in gobbling or, or, or your true peak, I guess, of gobbling is in early April, um, right ahead of that, uh, uh, that peak in, in nesting, uh, incubation, I should say. Uh, fortunately, biologically, you kind of get an, a second peak in gobbling activity right after that nesting period. Uh, the thinking there is gobblers have been tied up with all these hens just before the hens go off to, to start their nest. Gobblers are still fired up, but all the hens have disappeared to incubate their nest. And so they're gobbling potentially even more actively because they've got no suitors, uh, nobody grabbing their attention. Uh, so, so we position that season in that way so that hens are all fertilized or the, the majority of hens are fertilized. There's no disruption of, of reproduction by hunting activity and gobblers are still gobbling their heads off uh, when the season comes in and then things sort of taper off from there. Hey, Mark, <clears throat> on, on some of that gobbling um, talk, I've heard people say that they don't got the, the, the gobblers don't gobble in the woods anymore. And uh, you know, that, that, that's their, they're getting smarter. Uh, I'm not sure I believe that, but is that possible, I guess? And, or is that more just of a sign of a lower population than, and those real mature gobblers aren't out there as uh, plentiful as they have been in the past. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, it, it could be all of the above. I, I mean, your your very vocal birds and there yeah i mean there there's undoubtedly variation bird to bird in, in their uh gobbling activity some of that could be where they are in the gobbler hierarchy and they do sort of have this pecking order gobblers have their own hens have their own uh and there somebody's in charge and, and, and he might be a very uh, vocal bird a lot of those vocal birds are those birds that aren't quite as wary as the others they don't last very long in the spring season. So immediately, you know, our, our most intense spring harvest is occurring in week one. So immediately our hunters are changing what's what you hear in the woods in the first week of the season. So, so yeah, if you've got a, a really vocal bird and he's gung-ho to, to chase down any sound he hears in the woods, all of those birds are probably going to be gone by, by, if not opening day, by, by week one. Uh, I, if, if you're, if this is something that, you know, I, I can make my educated guesses about, but if you're really interested in, in researching gobbling activity, I would suggest you look up a, a researcher. I, I believe he's out, out of the university of Georgia 
named Michael Chamberlain. And he's got some really interesting information on uh, gobbling activity and the impact of hunting on gobbling activity and the hierarchy of gobblers. Uh, you know, basically we as hunters are targeting that, that boss bird, uh, that really vocal bird and sort of, uh, I've heard in some of his presentations that we may be disrupting some of their, their hierarchy in, in what we do in the spring season. Um, but uh, I mean, back to your, your specific question, Yes, I, I think we have an impact on gobbling activity with our hunting activity, um, but it, it sure seems there's plenty of gobbling going on out there. And, and I, I think people underestimate the impact of weather day to day on gobbling activity. And Michael Chamberlain has a, a, some interesting data on that as well. Uh, barometric pressure and, and, and what impact that has one day to the next. Uh, and that's actually a, a notable problem for some of our gobbling surveys that we run in the spring is if we run a survey on a day that has ideal weather conditions, we might hear, you know, 20 gobblers gobbling their heads off on a specific route. But if we go back to that route the next day, and I've experienced this, and the weather is slightly different, whether we notice it or not, the turkeys clearly must because there will be almost no gobbling activity that next day. And that and we run those surveys ahead of the season. So uh, there's no hunting impact there, uh, but gobbling day to day can, can vary greatly. Paul, I've got, uh, Paul, I like oh, how God. he said the very vocal turkeys. Cause I think when we were out last year, you used more of the term of we're looking for the one that's asking to die. Willing so, to die. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're looking for. What turkey are we targeting? The one that's willing to die. I don't care who he, where he falls on that hierarchy. So this is okay. So, so Mark, I've got, I've got a, um, I've got a question that directly relates to just like hunting and, and, and how gobblers, how they act. So I start scouting for turkeys into February, mostly because of boredom. I've been locked up all winter and you get that first like 50 degree day in February. It is like thunder in the woods. I love it. And I just go out and listen. I don't, I don't do any, you know, I might owl hoot, but I, I just, I just listen. And it's so it never fails. And I'm just going to use 2021 spring of 2021 as my example here. I go out to a public land place. I slam my truck door and it's like, boom, they blow up. And it is just, I've got it on video and there were nine turkeys and they were just gobbling down the, down the row. So I go out a couple of weeks later, they're still there. Same thing, slim truck door, start gobbling. So where am I going to hunt for opening day? I'm going to hunt right there. I'm, I'm going right there. Zero turkeys. I didn't hear a turkey gobble the rest of the year at this location. Where do they go? Where do these oh, turkeys man. go? That's the, that's the toughest. Yeah, that's that's a tough that one answer. I want answers, Mark. Today, so far, uh, <laughs> there is no doubt. So there, I mean, there can be a lot of things going on there. Um, without a doubt, we we recognize, and surveys will show, gobbling activity is is extremely high ahead of the season, and really tapers off as the season starts. Now you're saying it, it shut off opening day, so there goes my harvest explanation, which is is significant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when when folks call me and they say, "Hey, I, you know, it's second weekend, I'm not hearing the birds that I that I heard before," I'll tell them, "Well, a whole lot of birds got shot." Um, but yeah, if, if you're making the claim that they they all shut up opening day, I, I can't use that excuse. Uh, but there's no doubt variation day to day, as I mentioned, in in weather pattern and 
and as we talked about before, Dr. Chamberlain, I remember hearing him mention uh, the importance of barometric pressure. Um, that could be one one deal or one one explanation, but also just patterns of you know where are the hands, where are they finding hands, are they tied up with hands? Uh, you know, there is a lot of reproductive activity going on at that point. Now, why? why you didn't have them the rest of the season, why none of them returned. I don't know. I maybe that might just be bad luck, Paul. I, <laughs> I think it's a little, I mean, we're talking a public land spot. These birds were roosted no less than 150 yards off the, off okay. of the, the main parking area. So, I mean, it was just, it was just luck that I happened to find this, this group of, of male turkeys. And, and, and I get it. Like, you know, pressure dictates where these birds go i, I understand that so that was just more well, of a, i wasn't kind of a tongue-in-cheek like i wasn't you know, how, gonna how, ask how, private land or public land but i had my hunch that you yeah, were talking public. about public land which opens up a whole different oh, can yeah. of worms about potential problems sure it does. Um, it, you know and those range from birds that have been called at maybe for two weeks uh, prior to the season opening. And I can't say for sure one way or another, whether that is problematic, but certainly within the turkey hunting world, uh, it's even gone as far as some States considering bands for bands on calling birds ahead of the season and whether some States have those regulations in place, uh, or not. I don't know in Ohio, we do not. Uh, but it has been part of the conversation. I know hunters that have called us and said, we got to stop people from calling at birds every morning, two weeks ahead of the season. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned, I can't. I'll, I'll say, I'll say it. If anyone's <laughs> listening to this, stop calling to turkeys two weeks before the season. Stop sure. doing it. Stop it. Alhu. That's the only thing you can, I mean, and, and that's very minimal. I, you, you don't have to call at them. They're calling on their own. You just listen. Shut that, up and uh, listen. There are a number of things that uh, the state agency would much prefer not have to become a regulation and just be uh, something that hunt, turkey hunters understand and, and do themselves. And certainly that's, that's, that's likely one of them. But then there's also the potential of disruption in other forms. You know, if they're on a roost tree, as you said, right off the road, you might not be the only one that knows about that roost tree. And there's potential uh, of disruption of other forms from turkey hunters or from uh, other folks that are in the woods in the spring. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I'm afraid I don't have an answer for you. I know you were, uh, you were probably not expecting a great one, but uh, sometimes they just they move off. No, I, I was right. expecting the magic yeah. bullet. That's Understood. what I was expecting, Mark. <laughs> Answer all my questions. That's the greatest turkey cutter question. Where, where, where do they go? I will. Two things. Two where things they go? I, on this topic, when, when you call my office to ask questions about turkeys, there are two things that I will ask you not to say. And, and one of them is, this, tell me the season is too late because the birds are henned up. And I will respond to you if the birds are henned up then the season is is too early. We should be hunting them after they're hinned up. So you lose your credibility as soon as you yeah. tell me they're hinned up uh, and you're asking for an earlier season. The other one, which is even worse, is to call me and, and tell me that this is the worst turkey population we've had in 50 years, which I get often. And we already talked about the history of, of turkey population in Ohio. 50 years ago, we didn't have turkeys in, in most of the places we've got them now. So, yeah, when you call and say this is the worst one in 50 years, 
Yeah, I, 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 you've lost my interest. That's good. That's good to that's good to know. So, one the one there there are two two stats, two data points that I want to talk about that really stood out to me when I was kind of doing my research for this interview. Um, and the first one, excuse me. The first one, I was shocked to see that I think it was like in 2021, it was 90 or 91 percent of the of the turkeys harvested in the state of Ohio were on private land. I thought that was an amazing figure, and the and the reason I say it's amazing, I started turkey hunting about 2005, 2006, and the the just the sheer number of people that I see parked has just gone to the roof. On, on public land. So, I mean, there, and, and this is just what, the data that I gather by what I see with my own eyes. There are more people hunting public land now than there were, you know, 10 years ago. So I would think that, 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 that number would kind of balance out. So what, so why is turkey hunting public land so unsuccessful? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, your first figure, the, the 90% in excess of 90% harvest on private land is largely a function of the amount of private land in the state. Uh, we're at the bottom of the barrel, unfortunately, Ohio, uh, for percentage of public land, public land open to, to hunting. Um, and, and most of that public land is, is in one corner, southeast Ohio. The bulk of our acres are all down in southeast Ohio. Um, so, so for a lot of hunters, it, it, private land is your, is your only opportunity. Um, and, and certainly public land is pressured harder, uh, gets more intense pressure, I should say, than, than the vast majority of private land. So you, you're, you're correct in that regard, too, is there, there will be more turkey hunters uh, per 100 acres, 1,000 acres, whatever you want to measure it by, on public land, but there is just so much more private land. And then we could, we could go down the route of well, public land birds uh, get an education, you might say, a little quicker um, based on that intense pressure or possibly are, are adjusting their movement patterns, moving off to an area where they get less intense hunting pressure. I mean, there is no doubt uh, impact in turkey behavior from intense hunting pressure, which, which, as I mentioned, is far more likely to occur on public land than private land. The second, the second data point that really jumped off at me, and we've touched, we've touched on this already, but this man, this, this just really grabbed my attention. And we talk about harvest data. So you, you guys do a nice job about breaking down turkey harvest uh, every year. So I'm just going to use one county because I do uh, a fair amount of, of hunting on public land in this county, and that's Coshocton. Uh, 2018, we talked about that third, third highest turkey. So 803 wild turkeys were harvested in 2018. In 2021, 331 mm-hmm. were harvested in that same county. That is a a that is a to me that's an alarming number. That raises a lot of questions. Is that is that decline in hunters or is it decline in turkey population? So just just using that number, 803 to 331, is that indicative of the overall health of the turkey population in the state of Ohio? Because that is terrifying to me. Is yeah, as, as yeah, it's, it's one data point for sure. I mean, we biologists tend to look you know, take the much more broad view. It's hard to narrow into one individual county and especially for harvest because we don't have great information on hunter activity 
we could maybe assume that in a three-year period, four-year period, uh, the number of hunters pursuing birds in Coshocton County didn't change much, but we can't say that for sure. But, but, but your example is a really good one. I can rewind even further. I don't know what data you've got ahead of you, in front of you, but Ashtabula County is one that I hear about often. And I want to say in the early 2000s, they were killing nearly a thousand birds a year. I was going to say Ashtabula, that, I would look at the data every every year in that book. And I'm like, man, those guys in Ashtabula County are some turkey killing fools. I mean, because they were double, sometimes triple some of these other and, some and of these now other their, counties. their norm is more, so, without the data in front of me, their norm is more probably in the 400s, I want to say. Uh, they were four, yeah. 401 turkeys in spring of 2021. 2018, they were 530, 573. So, you know, well, I'm just looking at kind of this color-coded county map. I mean, it is, it is, yeah, it is yeah. alarming when I, when I look at this. I mean, it's that, that whole central eastern portion of Ohio, 800, you know, 811, 700s, and now we're below 400 in yeah. almost yeah. every single yeah, one of those counties. And that, to me, that I mean, that 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 screams loss yeah. of population. That's what that screams. And I'm I'm just some idiot that likes to hunt turkeys. I don't know anything about you know. I don't have all the data and all the answers, but to me, that's, that's, that's an alarming certainly, certainly. trend in just, a, its- a, in just a few years. I mean, are we going to have a wild tur- I mean, so Turkey and grouse, I mean, what are they cousins in the, in the, the world of, of animals? I mean, are, is the wild Turkey in Ohio headed down the path that the grouse is? I mean, we, we have five counties. To hunt I have uh, now? far more confidence in the wild Turkey population than, than unfortunately I have in the rough grouse population. They are cousins. They're, uh, galliforms, um, upland game birds, uh, sort of have the chicken-like appearance. We don't need to go down that road, but um, the <laughs> primary difference that I would ask that I, I would ask you and, and your listeners to focus on with those two birds is the rough grouse is more of a habitat specialist. In the if I don't know if either of you hunt rough grouse, but the rough grouse hunters listening. There is a very specific forest habitat type, a cover type that you look for when you're rough grouse hunting and you, you drive by it or you're hiking and you see it and you go, that's grouse cover. And that is young forest, dense young forest habitat, the kind of stuff that you can't walk you through. You can't exactly. walk through it. The stuff that you need like briar <laughs> pants and eyeglasses to get through safely. I mean, that is grouse cover. And grouse are, are tied pretty closely to that cover. They've got to have it for a variety of reasons. And, and if you go back in Ohio's forest history, we talked a little bit about it, clearing and then reforestation. So we've, we're now nearly a third covered by mature forest. Grouse don't do nearly as well in mature forest, um, which is what we have a lot of now. We don't have a lot of that young forest anymore. Um, turkeys, on the other hand, are more of a habitat generalist meaning they will, they will utilize what is out there, whatever. They're tied somewhat closely to just forest cover, period. But they can live in forest cover in the middle of a large agricultural landscape. Grouse cannot do that. Uh, turkeys do well in, you know, an urban park or, or many other places. They just need a few trees, something to eat, a place to roost out of the way of predators, and they do just fine. So there are a lot of habitats that wild turkey can occupy that grouse simply cannot. So I understand the concern. I mean, we've seen it in other game birds. We've seen it in grouse, we've seen it in pheasants, we've seen it in quail. 
the big difference there is those species are all tied to a specific habitat type, which once was prevalent and now no longer is prevalent in the state of Ohio. Where turkeys, we see some gradual fluctuation in forest cover in the state. Unfortunately, we're slowly losing forest after gaining forest for, for decades and decades. Uh, we've kind of hit a, a level point and we're losing forest slowly, uh, not an alarming rate, but uh, you could say the same about Turkey, even though we're in a dip now, I, I truly believe that this is sort of a, a transitory thing. We had, we had unfortunately three really bad pulp production years. Um, and that led to a, a, a real depression in our adult Turkey numbers. I think we've seen the tail end of it because we are, our indices, which are not perfect, but that, that pulp survey is not perfect. It doesn't tell me how many pulps are out on the Ohio landscape. It just gives me a sense, do we have more or less than previous years? And it, it shows that we, did, we had a better year. Now, when I'll, I'll, I may start to get, to get alarmed if we anticipate in 2023 getting back to our normal harvest levels, or at least normal levels of hunter success, because it's important how many hunters are out there pursuing turkey. The, that number is dropping pretty steadily, too. But if we get to a point where we think, well, pulp numbers were really good 10 years ago, but spring harvest is still poor, hunter success rate is still poor, uh, then I'll start to be a little more alarmed that something else is going on. I think those things are always on our mind as biologists, but unfortunately we work at a much more broad, I need to see more data, a, a more broad timeline than maybe the hunter. I think the hunter is a, a little more uh, ready to, to to raise the alarm uh, and, and that can be good or bad in a, in a lot of cases uh, northeast ohio in that zone that i mentioned that that's a good example of where hunters had concern biologists followed up with research and confirmed the hunter's concern in this case i really think we're going to come out of this with some good pulp years we may need a little bit of luck i'd love to see another couple really good pulp production years and I think that we're going to get right back to that that uh, tabletop, that level population we were at uh, just a few years ago. Do you feel that that's really that's really good to hear? I mean, so it sounds like you feel you're optimistic about where we're at and where we're headed. In, in I am. Terms I, of I think we're numbers, taking right? some precautionary measures good. with turkey regulations to sort of ease that pressure <laughs> off those birds. Uh, but most importantly, it's, it's, it's getting those pulp numbers up. And, and really, there's, there's not a lot that we can do to impact that. As I mentioned, you know, one of the biggest factors is just having good weather conditions during the nesting season. There is a lot that can be done to improve turkey nesting habitat and uh, brood rearing habitat. So those areas, the hens are going to take those young poults to pick bugs and try to you know get that high protein diet and grow rapidly so they can you know grow those flight feathers and evade predators so we are we are seeing some movement uh, so the natural resource conservation service nrcs uh, has rolled out a, a recent turkey habitat program which I, we're hoping will be really popular in ohio uh, that they, they've uh, contributed a couple million dollars actually to, to habitat improvements within the state and they're focusing that uh, on, on wild turkey nesting habitat and brood rearing habitat. So we were really encouraged to see that and we've partnered with them as best we can to, to provide information and resources to get that, that program uh, implemented on private land within the state. Um, 
you know, landowners were encouraging anybody that has interest or concern about wild turkey numbers, uh, work on nesting habitat, work on brood rearing habitat. Um, and often those habitats can be created as part of a, you know, a timber stand improvement um, program, something that, that a forester would, would likely recommend to you anyway to improve your, your forest stand. A lot of those, those activities are tremendously beneficial to wild turkey. Uh, in, in specifically focusing on nesting and brood rearing habitat is really important. Mark, um, when it comes to regulations and stuff, why is it that uh, shooting hours end at noon during the first week of the spring season? Yeah, yeah, really common question. So uh, the short answer is this was a precaution that a lot of states took when, when we were rolling out spring turkey regulations uh, as, as turkey populations grew, there was concern that hunting activity might disrupt nesting hens. Again, it's, it's important to remember that spring season is occurring while, while turkeys are nesting and, and raising young, um, specifically nesting if, if timed right. But there was concern that a lot of activity in the woods might disrupt hens. Hens are most likely to come off their nests. They're pretty well concealed and, and they, they stationary while on nests in the morning, uh, but they often come off those nests in the afternoon. So regulations like that, and a lot of states have them or used to have them. We're seeing some of that being rolled back. And even in Ohio, we've rolled that, that sort of midday closure back in recent years. Um, it, it's to get hunters sort of out of the woods, potentially reduce res disturbance of nesting hens uh, during those afternoon hours. Um, so Ohio used to have that, as I understand it, have, have that midday closure for the entirety of the season. We scaled that back to the tail end of the season. So that's a point when nesting has progressed even further and likely hens are incubating and are going to be on their nests uh, for the duration of the day. Um, and, and there's less chance of disruption from hunters. We've only very recently scaled that back even further to include just the first week uh, of the uh, uh, week or nine days. I'd have to look at the structure again, but uh, of the season, we have that midday closure. And again, it's, it's a precautionary thing. Uh, some hunters like it. Some hunters really dislike it. Uh, they're all over the board with that. There's, there's not great biological data to say that this absolutely is sparing hens or, or saving nests, but it's a precaution. And as I mentioned, hunters' opinion of it varies greatly. So it's something that we've maintained. When it well, I was going to ask the question about, um, and that's, so really, I appreciate that no, answer, ahead, sorry, but the ahead. question along the lines of um, why is it that we're able to harvest either sex in the fall of the turkeys? And I think I know the answer, but I'm just curious what the actual biological answer is on that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So spring season is bearded birds only, as you know. So most, most bearded birds are going to be male birds. So we get that question often about the fall. Why do we allow hen harvest in the fall? And, and, and the reason uh, is, is multifaceted. It's you have difficulty telling male birds and female birds in the young poults. So by the fall season, uh, October, November, 
you've got a large number of poults. You're going to have the most turkeys on the landscape that you're going to have all year at the tail end of the nesting season. Um, got a lot of poults out there, a lot of adult turkeys. Um, so if we were to have the same bearded regulation restricting hunters to male birds, you're going to have all those poults that are off the table, all those hens that are off the table, and, the, and they're largely some of the most vocal fall birds that you're going to have are, are fall uh, or, or poults and hens in the fall. Um, and the biological answer is, is the level of harvest that we have in the state is well below the threshold that would be problematic for fall harvest. It's, it's widely accepted that roughly 10% of the fall, of the fall turkey population could be harvested. Uh, if you stay below 10%, you're unlikely to have a negative impact on the population. You exceed 10% and you start to have a negative impact on the population. Uh, I think Ohio's last estimates were close to 2%. So we're well below that. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, this past fall, we saw a pretty notable dip in harvest and we were probably closer to 1% of the, of the fall turkey population. So it, Part of that is many fall birds are unlikely to survive to reproduce anyway, so they weren't likely to contribute to the to the populate to the uh, next year's reproduction, I should say, recruitment of new birds. So if you lose a hen uh, that wasn't likely to successfully reproduce, you you basically had no impact on that, that population growth for the next year. So it's a it's, it's a combination of allowing opportunity to harvest birds that are available as long as it's not having a negative biological gotcha. impact. One, oh, go ahead, Paul. Well, I just, I've got a question that so I don't I, know, Mark, if go ahead, you're go ahead. No, no, you. even comfortable answering this. But when I look at the map, okay, and in Ohio, I feel like it's, it's well, just to be honest, the, the deer get, every county gets to decide, you know, what kind of, deer are being harvested out of there turkeys you've got much more of these wide zones really we have two zones both seasons you know you look at other states that have the wildlife management units that are more larger regional chunks why do we do it this way is there a reason for this or has it ever been considered to look into the kind of the wmu idea or yeah yeah certainly um very good question. There are a lot of similarities between deer and turkey and habitat use and even some of the harvest management strategies, uh, but there are some pretty notable differences. Uh, and the one that I'll point out most notably for, for deer is that we do have regional population thresholds. And I know that you guys have talked with Mike Tonkovich uh, with the division, the deer program administrator about some of this. And there are uh, pressures to reduce deer herd size in different parts of the state. And, and he's able to do that with those somewhat regional, they're county-based now, but it, it does occur on a somewhat regional scale. Um, so with wild turkey, you know, you could go, could go down that route. Uh, with spring turkey harvest though, which is by far our most popular season, we covered some of the permit totals in excess of 60,000 uh, spring turkey permits typically in the in a year. Um, fall is much less. We didn't really talk about that 
when we were discussing fall turkey harvest, but uh, closer to seven to 9,000 in recent years, turkey permits, and, and very few of those are filled. The, the success rate in the fall is extremely low. Uh, so we killed uh, a few hundred birds this past fall. So, so less significant impact on the population. But in the spring, we're taking bearded birds, the majority are gobblers. Um, it's occurring after reproduction. So even in a county that has a, a fairly small turkey population, the removal of those gobblers is insignificant to reproduction within that, that county, if that makes sense. So, uh, so we could focus more harvest in counties that have a larger turkey population. It would complicate regulations a little bit. I mean, I'm certain you mentioned some other states that have those zones. Um, if you're accustomed to those zones, you might navigate them fairly easily. Uh, but I would definitely argue that in a state like Ohio, where you have the option to pursue turkey in any county and fill your statewide bag limit in any county, uh, it, it's a little more simple, easily, more easily understood. Um, and, and there's also an aspect of uh, probability of success sort of already built into a county's turkey population. And I'll give you a quick example. I live in Union County, Ohio, an agricultural county, uh, not a strong turkey population, but we do harvest a number of, of, of wild turkeys every year, uh, 40 to 50. Um, when I get the opportunity to hunt wild turkey, I go to Southeast Ohio. And that's because the turkey population is so much stronger there. I have, a, I have much better hunts there. I hear more gobbling there. I have a better probability of success. So to a degree, hunting activity regulates itself. I'm not gonna go sit for you know four days in a row, four hours a day in Union County and not hear a gobbler. Even though I know there are turkeys in Union County, I'm gonna focus my attention somewhere where I've got more a better chance of success. So I, I hope that I answered your question there. Um, it's in part because it is not biologically necessary to manage at that level, uh, but it's also a function of hunter activity sort of regulating itself, guiding itself to where, to where yeah, there and are I think better turkey it, numbers. The answer, it's, it's a big question, right? And I, I actually forgot to ask Mike that when we had him on, but next time I will get him on that. Um, and, and I mean, yeah, I, you sure guys you basically have that already. You brought up the idea that, you know, in the Northeast corner, they needed that extra week because of the weather. So like that's, is essentially its own little region in itself. Um, I guess the rest of the state is, is more uniform enough that we can go with that. But it's, it, it, it's really important. And I know I mentioned, it, it's just really important to emphasize that think of deer harvest you know, you can take your one antler deer and then a, a handful of antlerless deer. Antlerless deer are taking females out of the population. That is, again, your reproductive engine, uh, where with turkey hunting, the bulk of our harvest is male birds that will have no impact uh, after, after fertilization. They'll have no impact on population growth after that. So it's, there's a little less risk with that, that style of harvest that focus on males um, 
there's a little less risk of over harvest in say a, a county like Union where uh, the turkey population gotcha. is not as strong. So would the state consider like in Franklin County, for example, I worked at a golf course there for years and, you know, we're smack dab in the middle of one of the most affluent communities in the state and every day, like clockwork, man, I mean, 40 or 50 birds would roll through the golf course. I mean, and, and it's just, it's just daily. I, you know, scare them and get them to shock gobble. And then you go to like, uh, like the Columbus Metro park smack dab in the middle of the city of Columbus. And, you know, I go in there this, in, in the spring just to have some fun, throw some calls out, turkeys gobble. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, would the state consider taking those turkeys out of like an urban setting and moving them into a county like, like Union County to shore up those populations? Or is that just, we're going to leave them be and, and let them run their, you know, their life out in, right, in, right, yeah. in Columbus? Uh, the latter uh, is just leave them be. So we, we since okay. 2008 or 2009, whenever translocation ended officially uh, in the state of Ohio, translocation being moving birds place to place. Uh, we have not, we've not done that. And, and there's a couple reasons. Turkey are, are generally not as problematic as some of your other species like white-tailed deer can be. Uh, it cer certainly turkey can cause problems and specifically in the spring. And it's mostly, you know, gobblers acting like gobblers and maybe they see their reflection in a vehicle or a, or a window or something and, and may potentially cause some property damage or or, or harass somebody walking to their car. But turkeys generally uh, don't cause much trouble or damage and, and so therefore have less need to be moved. Um, so that explains why we wouldn't take, potentially take them out of an area like a Metro park. Um, but moving them to Union County probably won't do much good because we've got turkeys in Union County and they've occupied the available habitat probably to the level that they're going to. So adding more turkeys will probably put more turkeys on the landscape uh, than that landscape is ready to, to support. Uh, now, as I mentioned, we see populations up and down. Um, we probably operate or probably have turkey numbers slightly below our, our carrying capacity in most places in most years. Um, but moving turkeys probably would do more damage than, than good. You have the potential of moving birds that are diseased uh, into a new area and, and those sorts of things. So, so for those reasons, uh, we do not move turkeys uh, uh, out of those areas, but, but you're absolutely right. You, if you want up close and personal viewing uh, of wild turkey, some of our Metro parks and other, other uh, areas like that have some excellent opportunities and those birds we, we talked about the birds that gobble and the birds that uh, come charging in, as you described them, the birds that want to die. Those Metro Park birds have never really been pursued by anybody that, that meant them harm. Uh, and you, they, they'll come right up to you in many cases. I wouldn't advise that. I, I wouldn't advise. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> go up to a, a mature gobbler at any time of year, but it can make for some fun viewing opportunities. So final, final question, um, and, and this is a very controversial question. Can I age a wild turkey by beard length? Um, yeah. I know the answer. I yeah. want everyone so else to we used to We used to uh, take measurements of both beard and spur. You still report spur length uh, when you check a bird. 
but we use it far less than we ever did because they are unreliable indicators of age. Uh, beard specifically, I'm, I'm sure you've seen birds of uh, all form, thickness, length uh, of beard, and, and you may have noticed how brittle they can be. So yeah, beard length, uh, although it does take time to, to grow that beard, um, if it's a particularly brittle beard, you could have an old bird with a short beard. Um, so, so an unreliable indicator of age. Spur length may be a little more reliable. Um, and as I mentioned, we still ask hunters to report spur length in half inch increments uh, to kind of give us a, a breakdown of, uh, of, of age class, but it's not something that we rely on heavily because similarly, though it takes time to grow those spurs. So if you've got a real long spurred bird, you potentially have an older bird there. Uh, spurs break, uh, they get worn down, um, and you may, you may very well have a bird that's just growing spurs. He's got good spur genes, and he's, uh, he's growing, growing spurs like crazy. So both are unreliable, but they're fun to look at in the field and speculate how old your bird might be. But beyond... You know, beyond the Jake, the, the yearling bird, uh, we just classify them as adult and, and just speculate whether that might be a two-year-old bird, a three-year-old bird, or a four-year-old bird. Mark, appreciate your time. Appreciate your work, uh, you know, there at the state. And um, I, feel, I feel better about the wild turkey population you know, I was definitely outside looking in, just looking at what I could get my hands on. And I, I was in a panic. And when you guys lowered, I was like, oh, God, I'm never going to be able to kill a wild turkey again. They're extinct. They're not around. So this you've, you've definitely put me uh, put me Paul, at ease. Paul's and, depression uh, is over now, so that. he can yeah, keep certainly. up all the good work. So. Oh, yeah, I feel great. I'm ready to start <laughs> out hooting turkeys. Excellent. Tomorrow. It's been my so. pleasure. Stop yelping at turkeys <laughs> in February, everyone. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Thanks for Mark, thanks for your time.